The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. In a world that can be challenging and at times unpredictable, it's hard to find moments to focus on what you need. Join Stephanie James on The Spark as she guides you to use your inner flame to ignite your best life. As a best-selling author, psychotherapist, transformational life coach, and international show host, Stephanie is dedicated to helping you create a life that takes you, your goals, and your passions to the next level so you can live a life that is fully lit up and fully alive. She believes that your life is meant to be a beautiful expression of the things that light you up. That by living your dreams, you give permission to others to do the same. Are you ready to feel alive and inspired to fuel your dreams and put a fire behind your desires? Let's ignite a spark in one another that will illuminate the world. The Spark with your host, Stephanie James, starts now. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. We are taking the spark and igniting it. I am so happy to have you here with me. I hope that wherever you are right now, that you just take a moment to drop in from your head to your heart. And if you're not driving and are able to do this, or if you're even stopped at a stoplight while you listen to this, I guess you can do this. But just take a moment and put your hand on your heart. And I just want you to feel into your heart center for a moment. And you can do this just by taking a nice deep breath and just feeling in. I love the exercise of bringing compassion to ourselves. And sometimes we feel like we're not able to do this. So what we have to do is pull up a time when we felt compassionate towards someone else and to imagine what that felt like to give that compassion And then we can take a moment and think of a time in our lives that could have been a teacher, a coach, a parent, or a time just when someone was compassionate towards us and what it felt like to receive that. And the third part is just putting that same hand on your chest and imagining that you are sending out that compassion that you've sent out into the world before and it catches in your hand and it's like it loops around your arm and comes right back to your heart center. So you're actually sending that sense of compassion to yourself. A beautiful way to take care of you. I encourage you to try it. It's a great pattern interrupt when you're feeling stressed during your day Just take that pause and it's just being good and cultivating that relationship with you. So welcome to the show. We've got a little different show today. What we're going to be doing is talking a little bit about something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is this podcast. It's it's my movie, it's my books, you know, all with the theme, The Spark. And so often people are saying to me, what is the spark? What does that mean? 
And I think it's really important to talk about the definition of the spark. The spark to me truly is that essence that's inside of us. It's the part of us that we were born with. It's the essence of who we are. Some people might call it our spirit, our God spark. It's, It's the part of us that wind can't blow it out, water can't drown it out, and also life circumstances and the challenges we go through, they don't douse the light that's created by that spark. Unfortunately, what happens is that it can get covered up by all those circumstances, all those challenges and difficulties we go through. And so our work is really how do we excavate the spark? How do we really allow that part of us to ignite and shine through? Because that truly can become the gifts that we give to the world. As we ourselves heal, we become that conduit then. We become the pebble in the pond so the concentric circles of healing can radiate out from us. So, you know, moving into this concept too, this this episode is called Becoming Fierce. And oftentimes I'm asked when I'm the one being interviewed, okay, so now I'm starting to understand the spark. So what does Becoming Fierce mean? And Becoming Fierce is the name of my newest book. It's the name of a series that's going to be coming out Uh, an eight-part series that we filmed up at Estes Park last June with 20 women, six international thought leaders for three days of incredible transformation, and it was all caught on film. And you get to be a fly on the wall. It's pretty cool um, hearing the the behind-the-scenes conversations and interviews. And so this whole theme of becoming fierce for me also has been really just important in my life. I think the first thing to say is, where does Becoming Fierce come from? Uh, I was actually being interviewed about two years ago. I was being interviewed for my first book, The Spark, by Karen Curry Parker on her podcast. I believe it's Quantum Healing. And we got to the end. And as we were towards the end, Karen said to me, so what are your plans? What's up ahead for you? And I said, you know, I feel like uh, there's a new book coming through because every time I'm pulled up at a stop sign or a stoplight, I'm writing down ideas, little thoughts are coming through. So I'm writing them down on little scraps of paper. And we get done with the interview. And after we're done, Karen says to me, well, I'd like to let you know that my business partner and I own a publishing company and we'd like to publish your next book. So it was just like this amazing serendipity that happened. And from that, um, the next day I met with Michelle Vandepass, who is the business partner. And uh, as I'm telling her kind of my story and the ideas that were coming through, telling her about my life a little bit, she said, Stephanie, you are fierce. You are fierce. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. The book is becoming fierce. And that night, it was about 1.15 in the morning, um, I was woken up and wrote the whole outline for the book. It just felt like it was divinely downloaded. And writing that book was also that process. Like I literally felt like I showed up at the keyboard and I didn't have to do anything. It just came through. So this becoming fierce, you know, I feel like this fierceness, again, 
it's it's kind of like the spark in some way. It's this innate part of us. And it's not the aggressive, you know, the aggressive or to be in any way cruel with your fierceness. It's really this passionate, embodied, fiery self that lives with purpose that really is ignited and living in full expression of our authentic selves. And when we show up that way, we can really become fierce in the world. We were born fierce. And it's like we can think about, well, what happened? If we were born fierce, why why are we not fierce now? And there's lots of reasons for that. You know, I love Don Miguel Ruiz talks about we were born wild and then we become domesticated. And part of that is, I think, you know, when he's saying wild, it's that wild and free spirit that we are, where we're in love with everything. I can remember being a kiddo and I was in love with everything from daddy long legs to kittens. I loved being outside. And I mean, every time this is as I love as a little girl, every time one of the fish died in my dad's fish tank, we had to have a whole funeral procession and prayers and, you know, this big ceremony. I had a reverence for life. I had such a love for life. And it, it was that fierce intensity of loving whatever was happening in the moment. So I think it's important, though, when, when he's talking about we become domesticated, we really do. The, the flip side of this is also in childhood. We are in the first seven years of our lives in theta brainwave state. And so what that means is that we're like little sponges. So whatever someone says to us, if someone said, like my, I remember my art teacher uh, had said to me, you know, we don't make trees like that, that trees aren't purple, trees don't look this way. And remembering, you know, through elementary school, trying to please her and really getting that message that I'm not an artist. Um, And I just took that as a message through then the rest of my life. So it took a lot to start breaking out of that, to start creating art in different ways, whether it was through my films or a book or even through paintings or pottery. So, you know, it was really those messages start to change us and our perception of ourselves. So that can affect some of our fierceness, if you will. I think also, you know, I can remember being a little kid at my grandparents' farm. This is my dad's parents who were very strict. They were assembly of God, very hellfire and brimstone. And as kiddos, we had to sit around the table. And after you got done eating, we had to just be quiet. And sometimes as a little kid, I can remember being about six years old again, and my brother was three, and we had to sit there sometimes up to two hours until the adults got done talking, and then we were free to go play. And we had to be quiet. I mean, it was definitely the message, children are to be seen and not heard. And so those were things I think that influenced my sense of self, that I I needed to be quiet, you know, to be acceptable. Um, And those are the kind of things that kind of dim our light. The other thing that happens to us as we get older, you could think about junior high. And for all of us, there's this inherent need to belong. Uh, we survived in community. That's how we've survived. And so it's it's one of the strongest inherent pulls we have, this need to belong. And so what we start doing in order to belong oftentimes, 
you know, we follow the rules. I wanted to belong in my family. So I didn't disrupt. I was given messages when I was little, like if you're angry or you're sad, you go to your room. Um, so I learned to be really happy all the time that that was what was acceptable. Of course, I had those feelings underneath and had to do lots of work to excavate those and deal with those later in life. And I really did have a pretty happy childhood, but those things weren't acceptable. Those, you know, those were to be tended to in private or shut down. So also the need to belong, you know, talking about again, junior high, we're given this message that we need to fit in. So we start compromising who we are. We start compromising what we feel is appropriate. We compromise, you know, sometimes even our morals and values and we, we just want to be accepted. And so also, you know, lots of girls, um, and I know this can happen to boys as well. I'm not trying to be gender you know, specific here. I just know from my own experience that, you know, if we wanted to get liked in junior high, you know, you wanted to be smart, but not too smart. You wanted to be, you wanted to have a voice, but don't laugh too loud. Don't speak too loud. I mean, it was just a very interesting dynamic. And I grew up in the 70s and 80s. So that was really kind of my era uh, to give you an idea of maybe what was going on then culturally. But it was definitely, and it, and it continues, right? It continues this need to belong. And so we have to look at how have we compromised ourselves. And we do it sometimes as adults in social situations, in our corporation or workplace, uh, even on social media. So looking at how are we not showing up authentically as us? And then I think it's important, you know, when we're thinking about just the way that our brain stores things, we have this natural negativity bias, which unfortunately is the part of us that is always focused on the what if. We could say it's fortunate because it is the part of our brain, the amygdala and hippocampus, that's helped us to survive. And also on the on the flip side of that, one of the things it does is it's the part of us, like the hippocampus, where we're walking down the street and we might go like, oh, snake. And in actuality, we look again and it was a stick. But the brain's going that quick so it can keep us safe. So the thing that's unfortunate about that is you think about the negative experiences that you've had and the brain holds on to those experiences like Velcro. It files them away in our brain's file cabinet as important things to remember. We have to remember those things because those are the things that keep us safe. Like don't touch the hot stove. Don't walk into the middle of the street or you get a spanking from your mom or dad. You know, those are the things we're like, okay, I'm going to look both ways. I'm not going to put my hand on the burner. And then positive things are more like, you know, I always liken it to two fried eggs on a Teflon pan. They slide right off. We don't need the positive experiences to survive. So the brain is less likely to store those, definitely doesn't store those in the same way it does negative experiences. So in order to maintain a positive mindset, we actually have to focus on it. We have to be present to it. And, you know, we all have this baseline for happiness. And I know that I have a pretty high 
baseline of happiness. And that just means that whatever goes on in our lives, we return, we might get anxious or we might get depressed a little bit, and then we still return to whatever that baseline of happiness is. I think we still, though, have to cultivate and work at building this muscle that says, you know, this is what I want to focus on. And there's so many exercise, you know, exercises we can do to help raise that baseline and to help direct those parts of our brain. And we'll talk about it a little bit in a moment about the reticular activating system. Uh, but it's it's the parts of our brain that we can actually help influence so that we are directing what we want to focus on. And we know that it's a principle in quantum physics that what we focus on expands. So we want to make sure that we're choosing things we want to focus that help us to be Come this fierce person that feels so good inside that can fiercely show up in the world as our authentic selves and bring our passion, our creativity, and our positivity. So those are some of the things we're going to keep talking about. So let's talk about this. How do we hardwire then? If we're hardwired for survival, if we're hardwired for protection, how do we hardwire what we want to experience, what we want to experience? So I remember this conversation. I interviewed Bruce Lipton a few years ago and this really funny moment in the interview, I said to him, well, Bruce, the point of power is in the present moment. And he looked at me and got this twinkle in his eye and started laughing. And he said, well, Stephanie, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) You know, I think because he and I were both acknowledging how important being in the present moment is in really cultivating the sense of inner power. Uh, when, when we think about the future, it's not that you can't think about the future, but when you're worrying about the future and you have anxiety about the future, you're, you're bringing this what if game into trying to predict what's out there, which we never can. We can never predict the future unless perhaps you're psychic. Maybe then you can see probability waves. But the reality is when we worry, we're worried about something that isn't happening. And I always say, if you're going to fantasize, fantasize about something good instead. Because what happens is our mind focuses whatever we hold up in our mind our mind thinks is happening now. And that's why when you're worried about something in the future, you're holding up this picture in your mind of, oh my God, what if this happens? And what starts happening is that anxiety starts getting creative. You know, our thoughts are definitely energy. They connect then with our feelings and then we get a chemical response in our body. So you're going to be dumping that adrenaline or cortisol when you start worrying about the future. Okay, again, it's not happening now, but we're physiologically experiencing it as if we are. So the same is true. We're, we lose power when we're focused on the past. If we're feeling regrets, if we're ruminating about the past and wishing it were different, we start getting those chemicals of, you know, we start feeling depressed. We start feeling down. We start, you know, that rumination is such a, an angst within us. So again, it's not happening now. It is in the past. There's nothing we can do about it. What we can do, though, is bring ourselves right here to the present moment, because usually here in the present moment, things are pretty good. Um, Even if we're going through a tough time, if we're not in 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 the past or the future, we can deal with what's happening now much more effectively. 
And that can be as easy. Bringing yourself to the present moment can be as easily as taking conscious breaths into your body. You know, you could start with just physical sensations that are connected with your breath. If you just focus right now on taking a breath and feeling the tips of your nostrils, noticing what that feels like, you'll notice the coolness of the air as it enters your body. And then you might follow that breath and start to notice the tingling, the sensation on the back of your mouth or throat. And then you might notice how your chest rises and falls with your breath. And then you might notice the even more subtle movement of your abdomen. If you take a nice deep breath, you can really feel how it expands and contracts with your breath. So as you start to bring your attention and your focus to this moment, you'll notice that you start to feel better. You start to let go of these ruminating thoughts. And what you start to do, if you want to, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't plan for the future. You can absolutely have goals and plan for the future, but it does matter what you hold up in your mind. So one of the things you can do to help yourself feel good in this moment, you could think of someone you love. Someone could be also, it could be an animal, a pet, a place. Bring yourself to a place of, wow, I really love that. And if you just marinate on it, I mean, give yourself 30 seconds to focus on it. Again, you might even bring your hand to your heart, just really be with it. It will start releasing those feel-good hormones, epinephrine. You might get some dopamine. And pretty soon, what starts happening is your body begins to relax. So really working on your breath, what you focus on, on this moment, in this moment, that's really what matters. You know, I love Michael Singer. He wrote the book, Untethered Soul. So many people know that book. And then Living Untethered is his latest book. And I love his sentence, which is suffering is when we want this moment to be anything other than what it is. So how cool, how amazing that we actually can decrease some of our own suffering. It's so powerful. So when we go into a place of acceptance and we say, okay, this is what's here. You know, I love, I love, and I cannot remember where I heard this, but I, I love the story of this man who, no matter what showed up, his response would be, and this. So if something horrible happened, and let's say all his livestock got stolen, he would say, and this, you know, just taking it in stride. And if something good happened, he'd also say, and this. And part of what he was referencing, what this man was referencing, is whatever shows up in our lives shows up in our lives. But we can handle it from such a much deeper place of being just in alignment with our deeper self, with our more calm, just rejuvenated self. When we are in this moment, we can breathe through what's happening and we can address our challenges and our difficulties in such a much clearer way with such less suffering, hopefully with no suffering. Um, you know, and, and I think that's an important piece too, that our negative, what we term quote unquote negative emotions of fear or anger, anxiety, if we don't label them as bad, 
and instead just label them as energy, our emotions are energy in our body, then we can actually learn how to befriend them. So we need to take a break. I can't believe it's been 20 minutes already. Uh, We need to take a quick break and then we'll be back. I'm going to be sharing some of my own story with you and moving into loving fiercely and how to gather strength and resilience. Looking forward to continuing the conversation. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Okay, you're back with Igniting the Spark with Stephanie James. So wonderful to have you with me here. I'm just sending out so much love to you and just deep gratitude for being here and for listening. And please, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, invite your friends to listen. I try to bring content every week that is full of some of the most brilliant minds and serving hearts on the planet, people that are really trying to make substantial change and put good into our world. So this podcast is meant to uplift you, to really open your heart and mind and ignite those sparks within you. So let's talk a little bit about, I guess what I'm going to share right now is I'm going to talk about my own story a little bit. And for those of you that have read my book, you know this story. Um, I share it on my interviews. And I think it's it's important because oftentimes we listen to people or we read their books or we see their films and we think, wow, that person, if they have a certain you know neuro- uh, notoriety or they're quote unquote famous or we think, oh my gosh, this person's arrived. And the reality is I have met again, some of the most incredible people I feel like on this planet, and yet all of them have suffered. All of them have gone through challenges and had to face their own dark nights of the soul. None of us get out of this unscathed. And I think it's important that we normalize that we all go through tough times. You know, I don't think that we have to suffer to grow. I really want to dispel that old narrative. And at the same time, I feel like we can gain wisdom through all of our experiences. So we do gain wisdom and insight through those difficult and challenging times that we face. So my own story, as I said at the beginning of this episode, you know, I definitely had this very happy childhood for 13 years. Um, I was really blessed with having a super close family. I had lots of cousins and aunts and uncles around growing up. And Sundays at my mom's parents, my grandparents lived in Timnath, which is about 15 minutes from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I grew up. And so we'd go to the farm on Sundays for dinner and, you know, have again, all the cousins and aunts and uncles and very close family. And I had these very involved parents, you know, my mom 
taught Girl Scouts and 4-H cooking and sewing. And um, my parents went to all of my, whether it was basketball, soccer, uh, softball. I played the piano, the flute, the violin. I was in every kind of dance concert there was. And so I really had these parents that showed up and were very present. And I also had one of those doting dads. Um, and I was definitely grew up as a daddy's girl. I had this just love affair with him where, you know, wherever he was, I wanted to be. And I talk about this where if he was out raking the leaves, I was there with the bag, helping him scrape them in. Um, if he was working on his workbench, you know, I would want to be right by him and I just have him give me nails that I could hammer in a board. This is when I was a little girl, just so I could be by him. And even in the mornings, I mean, for years I would sit on his little counter in his bathroom and he would put shaving cream on his face and then he'd put it on mine. And I had this little plastic toothbrush holder that I used to shave my face with. And, you know, even on the weekends, I think about on the weekends when he would take a nap in the afternoons, he'd lay on the living room floor and we just have pictures of me snuggled up next to him. And I'm like trying not to laugh because I could never sleep. He'd be zonked out, but I just wanted to be near him. And, you know, this this golden, beautiful childhood in one evening was completely shattered and irreversibly broken. My brother and I awoke when I was 13 and, and my brother was 10. We awoke to the sound of screeching tires going out of the driveway. And we look outside and my mom is screeching out the driveway with my dad on the hood of the car. He's sprawled across the hood of the car and he's beating on the windshields, trying to get her to come out. And we're just like, what is going on? And unbeknownst to us, my dad had waited till we went to sleep to tell my mom that he was in love with another woman. And so in that moment, my entire golden childhood, you know, all these precious times that my family had shared, it was, it was shattered, you know, and, and my mom who, you know, I love dearly and is one of my best friends now. I mean, she just emotionally just struggled, of course. I mean, she was in love with this man she'd been married to for 18 years. And so as she started to fall apart, I left with dad. I moved out of the house and moved in with dad. It was natural. You know, I was a daddy's girl. And, you know, it was a very short time after that, that we lived with my soon-to-be stepmother. And from that moment on, I was not allowed to talk to my father alone. I wasn't allowed to be with him alone. And to the day he passed, which was just this last December, I was not allowed to talk to him alone on the phone. And to even make it worse, when I was 16 and I went back to live with my mother, just actually it was for a visit for two weeks. I was just going to stay with her for two weeks in the summer. My dad and stepmother had pulled up in the driveway and instead of coming to the front door, they just honked the horn. <laughs> they, they didn't want to come to the door. So I had to run out. Actually, I was in a towel. Uh, I was getting ready for a date, but I run out and they say, we're moving to Austin and we're leaving in about three weeks. Wanted to know if you're coming with us. 
And, you know, here I'd grown up with these kids since I was four years old. Um, I was about to be a junior in high school and I was like, no, I don't want to come. You know, I wanted to be with my friends. And my father didn't speak to me for a year after that. The last time I saw him, he, I mean, he was driving out of the driveway angrily saying some mean things. And then I didn't speak to him for a year. So what I took within me and what it took about the next 15 years or so to get rid of was this thought or this belief that I wasn't lovable, that somehow um, I had to earn love, you know, and I, I really bought into this narrative that, oh my gosh, if I just get good enough grades, if I just look right, if I just date the right guy, eventually it was, you know, if I just have the right house, the right job, then I could earn dad's love. Then I could earn love. You know, I'd, I'd want to earn it from other people so that then it would somehow substitute for the lack of love I did not receive from my father. And it wasn't until, you know, in my early 30s, I went to this healing school in San Francisco. And they were teaching us truly about how to be conduits for healing as we were working with our clients. And as I came through the door, I met Dr. Jaffe. He was the presenter, the main teacher. And so we come through the doors and he shook my hand and he held onto it a little too long. And it was one of those times where you think, oh my gosh, this guy is reading my soul. And so we get done saying hello, whatever. He goes up on stage and he's doing his presentation and partway through, he looks out into the audience and he says, hey, you in the blue coat, I have a message for you. And I'm looking around, looking around. And then I look down, I'm like, oh crap, I'm the one in the blue coat. And he said, I have a message for you. And he said, what I want to tell you is I couldn't hear him. And I looked around and started to ask my girlfriend if she heard what he said. And then he tried to say it again. And again, I couldn't hear him. And he's like, my dear, you obviously have a resistance to this. And he said, what I'm trying to tell you is, and when you tried again, all of the air conditioning units in the place came on and nobody could hear him. So by now people are just laughing and, and people are just like, oh my gosh. And so he said, okay, my dear, come up here on stage, come up here. And I came up and actually sat on these steps right by the stage. And he paused and he looked at me and he said, my dear, what is so hard for you to receive, what is so hard for you to hear is stop trying. Stop trying. He said, you've been trying your whole life to be perfect for your father, and now you're trying to be perfect for your husband. Stop trying. It was so powerful. It really was an entry point for me where I got that huge aha of like, oh my God, I've been trying to earn all this love outside of me. I had all these external programs for happiness. And it was the first realization that all the love, all the happiness, everything I was looking for, it was actually an inside job. And so it began the process of me learning how to befriend and truly love myself. Not this, you know, the cliche that we hear all the time, just love yourself, be your own best friend, but like that true cultivating of a relationship with me. And so that's the thing I want to offer you all 
in becoming fierce, it has to start with this fierce love of ourselves. And that's not something we just decide and then we have. It really is something we have to cultivate. It's just like building a muscle. It's not flipping a switch. You know, you can think of it like if you met someone, it's like you deciding to have a real relationship with yourself. You don't just meet someone and tell them all your deepest, darkest secrets, unless you have really bad boundaries. And you wouldn't say to them on the first day, hey, by the way, would you start picking up my two-year-old at daycare from now on? I mean, there's just no way we wouldn't trust that person. And that would be appropriate. And the same is actually true with ourselves. You know, you think about the times that you've let yourself down or the times you didn't follow through with a promise that you'd made to yourself. We make those promises to ourselves a lot. And we promise ourselves, okay, I'm going to speak up. I'm going to say this. And we don't. So we have to start building trust with us. And one of the best ways that I found, and it really is one of the ways that we help strengthen who we are, and that is to start with a morning practice. Do something where you wake up in the morning and you take care of you as a priority in your life. And realizing that being a priority in your own life is actually the least selfish selfish thing you can do. So many of us, especially, you know, my generation and past, they really believe that, that if you take care of yourself first, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a selfish thing. And I'm telling you, as you take care of you, especially starting this first thing in the morning practice, then you're available for other people. Then you have some resources inside. So building this relationship, it can be as simple as starting with 10 minutes when you wake up in the morning. Let's say you do 10 minutes of exercise, and then you could do 10 minutes of meditation, ending in writing down or journaling your gratitudes, and then marinating on those for a few minutes. You know, it doesn't have to be a really long process. If you gave yourself 20 minutes in the morning, and you could build up from there, but you begin there. And I have this habit that I love What I do is instead of crossing them out, I put a heart on them. And so when you look back, when I have taken care of myself and I've done these positive things, so what I do is I get a calendar and instead of crossing the days out at the end of the day, what I do is I put a heart on that day to show that I've shown up for myself. I've been loving towards me. And that's some of the most powerful things we can start doing for ourselves to look back. I love looking at the end of the month calendar and seeing all the love I've been putting out towards loving myself, how I've shown up for me. And then I'm always amazed at by the way then I can show up so much more present for my clients, for my coaching clients, for my kids, for my grandkids, for my fiance. I love it because I've already embodied that love within me. And that's the kind of fierce love I'm talking about. That really ignites this flame that then we can really start sharing with others. And I think that's our goal. If we want to build resiliency, if we want to show up and start gathering strength, it starts with taking care of each one of us. Each one of us has these sparks inside of us. Each one of us 
are these golden threads of the tapestry of humanity. So we've got to make sure that we're taking care of us. And that's why on the film poster to my film, When Sparks Ignite, that I say, your period healing period matters, period. Your healing matters. The world needs you. So take some time, take some time this week, take some time today to show up for yourself, to resource yourself, to remember that spark that you are so that you can ignite something that then becomes your gift to the world because it's a gift to everyone around you. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode and and really for allowing me to share that which is most fierce and passionate within me. If you want to get more information about my film, my books, you can go onto my website. It'll talk about it at the end of the show too, but just so you know, it's stephaniejames.world. And from there, you can see a trailer for the film. The film is still playing on the More You channel on Plex Network. My books are available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. It's Becoming Fierce and The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life. And they're just guides, truly, to living your best life fully ignited. That is my greatest desire for you. And it is my mission, truly my personal mission to put as much love and healing into the world as possible. So that's what I'm trying to do through all these mediums. Just share that spark with you. You have been listening to Igniting the Spark with Stephanie James. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe and receive every episode. For more information about this show, my books, films, and events, go to stephaniejames.world and ignite your best life. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa one to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts.